Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. Glad you could spend time with me today because I have a really fascinating author with me again. She is definitely, this is her third time with me, and if she keeps writing, you know, she's going to become a real regular on the show, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> before we start, though, I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Please look for him on the Internet. He is a native storyteller, and the tradition that he is emulating and living in his life is is one that all of us should be aware of because it's a different way of of preserving a cosmology and a history and and one that everyone should actually be aware of. I have with me today Dina Miriam, who has written a new book called When the Bright Moon Rises, The Awakening of Ancient Memories. It is first and foremost a love story between the sages of the cosmic forces known as the deities, love of the sages for the people, and love between individuals seeking to express this universal force of love that exists within all of us. It's also a study of karma, the cosmic law of cause and effect. This this narrative begins in Vedic India around the 9th century BCE with the meeting of two people and the seeding of a love that cannot be fulfilled but which comes into fruition nearly 10,000 years later during the Tang Empire in China, where they are reborn as the renowned poet Li Bai and his poet wife. The awakening of her memories of previous births initiates an inner struggle that is only resolved under the guidance of her dearest master, her Taoist master, sorry about that, and this is her story. Dina is an author, storyteller, and the founder and convener of the Global Peace Initiative of Women, bringing spiritual resources to address critical global challenges such as conflict, social justice, and ecological scarring of the earth. Over the years, she has worked to bring gender greater gender balance and balance between the Abrahamic and Dharmic-based religious traditions for a more inclusive interfaith movement. Her two previous books, which I highly recommend and I loved, My Journey Through Time, A Spiritual Memoir of Life, Death, and Rebirth, and then The Untold Story of Sita, An Empowering Tale of Our Time, 
bring you into an understanding as to the tradition, the new tradition that, that Dina has initiated. And um, someone wrote a while back that this may well be the beginning of a whole new literary tradition with people chronicling the journey of their spirit through time and their past lives and, and the lessons that were taught and the talents and the skills and the gifts that were brought forward. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Miriam. Thank you, Barbara. It's wonderful to be here again talking to you. Well, you you write about a topic that has fascinated me forever, and I think everyone has always you know, hoped that they had past lives. Frankly, I, I truly believe that we have. And and if indeed we have had, what kind of talent, skills, and, and inclinations we bring from one lifetime to the next. And even if we don't believe in past lives, the fact that we have inclinations and we have talents and skills would indicate that Somewhere along the line, there, there was more information in this particular area that, that is sending you in that direction again this lifetime. Um, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a gardener. I can't stop gardening. You know, just even, even if you don't give me land, I'll fill pots with dirt and I'll garden. And it, it, it has to have been from past lifetimes that this love of nurturing plants took seed and has followed me lifetime to lifetime, I would think. Sure. So. You know, when most people think about um, past lives, they think just of their their the, their personality just previous to this, their birth just previous uh-huh. to the current one, um, and they think of of what happened in their previous birth as as affecting things today, relationships, work, etc. When I wrote my first book, it was over a period of a number of years where I relived my birth just previous to my current one, and I thought that was the end of it. And then things okay. happened in my life where I was back in the birth previous to that, and then I thought that was the end of it. And then I went back until I actually had relived seven sequential, seven lives sequentially, going back in time about 500 years. And that astounded me. It was like, wow, I mean... It's hard enough, you think, just to go back one life. But when I saw the pattern of seven lives, and I saw that it's a continuing saga, and there are things about me that are from a life three or four uh, uh, lifetimes ago, um, and so that I'm a compilation of all that came before, and I thought that was that was the end of it because for a number of years I didn't see anything more. And then I took a trip to India, and I found myself back in time several thousand years. And I wrote the story, the untold uh, story of Sita, uh, which was memories of of a higher age when there was much more uh, um, a, a harmony on the planet, harmony with nature, harmony among the humans. Um, uh, it was, it was, and I it, it enabled me to peer into what a higher age looked like and felt like. Um, and again, I I didn't couldn't imagine going any further back in time, <laughs> but then. Sure enough, uh, a year or two later, I found myself back in this ancient time about 10,000 years ago in the Vedic, the time when the Vedas uh, were first being given a higher age even than during the time of, of Sita and Ram, what we would call the Isa Sata Yuga, the age of, of um, complete direct uh, uh, perception of truth. 
And so um, that that I, I didn't know what to make of that, but that's where this story um, uh, has its beginnings. This love story have its beginnings, and and I was able to experience what that age was like when human society was just kind of undergoing a dramatic change, uh, and it was going through growth. The ice was melting, which was very interesting to me too. It was a time uh, about 11,000 BCE or 10,000 BCE, a comet hit the Earth and the glaciers melted. Previous to that, mm-hmm. a big part of the Earth was under glacier cover, uh, but the oceans rose 400 feet. Within, I don't know, they don't say what the time frame was, whether it was rapid or not, but certainly over a few centuries. And um, that was interesting because it, it, it created human migrations, uh, and it, it actually laid the foundation for civilization as we know it. Uh, because rivers came when the glaciers melted, and then human society gravitated to the rivers, agriculture was developed. So human society took a new turn uh, with the melting of the glaciers. And so then I wondered, well, we're at a at a similar point where our glaciers are melting. Will human society take a new turn? Um, will a whole new chapter open for us? It was interesting to go back to that time when society was also at a, the world was at a crossroad as we are today. Yeah, and it, it, you know, it, it it begs the question. You're talking about the younger Dryas time frame, and and I have always wondered you know what what happened before and you know there were parts of the country that were never under the ice caps because the the polar ice cap over over thousands of years changed radically in different places and at one point antarctica was um garden of edenish it was a tropical zone yeah. and south yes. and south america yeah. never had ice in it and therefore those cultures probably go back even further without an interruption of, of the Ice Age. So, I mean, there's, you know, you, you've got a tremendous time frame you can play with with your past lives for sure. Well, and, I wonder, and, I mean, as, the, yeah, I, I, my current book um, has goes back even further uh, because uh-huh. I think there's no end to how far we can go back. Uh, we've We've been around for a long, long time in so many different forms. Uh, oh, uh, and, if, it, you know, and, it, and of course, it changes your whole sense of identity. Um, after after writing my first book, it was like, well, who am I? <laughs> am I that one or that one or that one or this one? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think that's, that's one of the fascinating things about your past lives is that the personality changes as well i mean you know it's you but right the personality and and the either the forcefulness or the or the timidness of the of you know in in many ways the characters that that you were um are not reflective of the character that you are now so you're seeing you know yourself with different personalities to a great extent and and being able to to sort of see where certain of your tendencies come from, which I think is fascinating. It, it's absolutely true. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm no longer the person I was a few thousand years ago because I've had a lot of life experience and I've grown and hopefully uh, gained some wisdom. Uh, but there are things, like you said, gardening, there are things that, that remain with you. 
uh, themes that continue to resonate through your lives, um, through the series of lives. Uh, certainly relationships, uh, um, powerful relationships um, uh, stay with you. Uh, um, and so it's it's interesting because you get to you get to see what's ephemeral, what really was 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 is not an intrinsic part of you. I mean, of course, once you get deeper into it, we're just pure pure spirit. Uh, but uh-huh. but um, there are like there are things that tend to stay with us over several lifetimes, uh, um, and and so that's interesting to see. Uh, in the current book that I'm working on, that I'm just about finished, um, I, I was I got to see an aspect. It was actually the first time that I've written about myself in a male body, which was which was interesting. Ah. It's the first time I I saw myself, I experienced myself in a male body, and you know, it didn't make any difference. I was still me. Uh-huh. It was very interesting to have that experience of seeing myself in a male body. I mean, me yes, and not me. Of course, I've not that person yeah, but anymore, it, but but mm-hmm. in a male body, you had a different sort of power than you do when you're in a female body. So that must be yes. interesting to experience. Exactly, that was definitely. I, I had more freedom at that time uh, to to maneuver through the world because it was uh, that takes place about a thousand BCE uh, when there already was, um, you know, uh, uh, women already were were. Second-class citizens, most parts of the world. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, going back to the, the Vedic time, where the bright moon rises, it was a time before that, when when women led clans, women were leaders, uh, women there was no restriction really. Um, the only restriction was not going against the laws of harmony within the society, which of course the personality that I had then uh, did. She fell in love with with a. a a celibate uh, uh, monk, and um, <laughs> have some difficulty with that. <laughs> I, I had to laugh. It's sort of like you know, it, it's it's uh, when I was laughing, and and only because you know how frustrating to you know, and clearly the feelings were shared, and yet the vow of celibacy took prominence, so that you yeah. know it's. It, you know, she should have watched her mouth when she threw her beads into the river and said, "Exactly." Years <laughs> Holy mackerel! It was kind of like, you know, be careful what you wish for in state because, you know, chances yeah. are you're going to live it out. Well, um, words have power, but, and that's one of the yeah. things about that era is that they understood that words had power, and that word is sound is vibration, and vibration manifests. I mean, it has its enormous power within it. Um, the interesting thing for me about that period is as the earth was changing, because forests were coming, uh, because there was, when the, so much of the water was locked in ice, there was not a lot of rain. But suddenly uh-huh. now the water's released and there's rain and there's forests and, you know, life is thriving, right? Um, but it was the rishis, the, the, the ones who understood the power of sound, who were helping with the transformation and the creation of, of all of that, quietly, silently. Uh, uh, doing their work. I think one of the things that <clears throat> that I have always believed, and 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 you know, you're certainly with what you're writing, kind of gives a confirmation to that. I have always believed that there was a time when we lived in in 
harmony with the animals where we could really talk to them where where there was an uh, uh there was communication between us and the animals and and I certainly believe that that's that's certainly something that happens today. I know I have cats and um you know I can go kitty 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 but you know and and if they hear it they kind of know that they know the rhythm and they they food is eminent so but but you can actually send messages telepathically to your animals in pictures, and they will pick that's up on it. it and respond to it. Well, that's a, and, a lot of the and, communication in those days was telepathic. Uh huh. And and, 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 and so, with the animals, yeah. And and so I, you know, there was no, there were no predators or anything. It was there was there was a balance in nature, so that there was no need for predatory stuff. It. You know, it was it was a time of peace, and I don't know how far back this goes, but I have seen places where you know the animals and the humans worked together in, in Congress. You know, it was not a matter of um, now we're not talking dinosaurs here, but we're talking a, a time in which there were lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! And yeah, there was, I think it, you know it's it, in the collective memory. <laughs> you know, in the uh-huh. in the West, we talk about the Garden of Eden. Eden where there was harmony, you know, where man lived a natural life, men and women. So I think uh-huh. there is in the collective memory this time, and the East we would say that was a Satya Yuga, uh, before man began to see himself as separate and develop this, this consciousness of domination, where he saw yeah. himself as an in, integral part of the whole, took what was needed. It's interesting to me because um, some of the reviewers have, have looked at that part of the book, they call it a, a primitive society, and huh. when you look at the way archaeologists and uh, anthropologists uh, look at that time period in the human frame, the time period of 8,000 years BCE, right, They'll, they see it as more primitive. Uh, but there was no war. There was no torture. There was no slavery. There was no treatment of animals the way we treat animals today, which is horrific, the way we treat animals. You know, oh, yeah. the whole meat industry, the way we just treat them like commodities with no consciousness at all. Uh, so I consider that to be a higher consciousness because there was a much greater se- sense of value of life. Oh, absolutely. And our yes. place in the Not universe. That, when, when, they, when they came out of the forest and they, they came into a, a, um, a more organized civilization, they, they were told, you know, find out what you you know, what kind of talents and skills you have that you enjoy, and that's the area you go to. So right. so it was not a matter of you're assigned to do vegetables this week and wash dishes next week. It was, you know, where are you going to be able to contribute with joy? And that's the way they were drawn. And, There's and also it was a lot beautiful. of gratitude. Gratitude to the rivers, gratitude to the sun. I mean, you know, we mm-hmm. think of it as primitive, worshipping the sun, but it was gratitude. Um, gratitude for all the forces of the natural world uh, and we've lost we've totally lost that in our society uh, 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 I mean we've we've commodified everything we've deadened everything we've taken the life out of everything uh, and and we and we're heading toward destruction unless we can recapture uh, some of those important uh, 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 guidelines for living well we've taken ourselves away from the earth mother um, we've yeah. isolated ourselves with concrete, with um, with wood, with shoes. I mean, there's there's a 
a book out there called Earthing, and it talks about you know getting your bare feet in touch with the earth so that you can synchronize your heartbeat with the heartbeat of the earth. And and when you do that, you know you have a greater sense of peace. Not only that, but but you're healthier Absolutely. because you're you're yeah. you're in sync with your environment. Now, certainly, I'm not telling people in Alaska to go out and you know stand on the snow, but but you know there is there is this element of reconnecting to the Earth Mother because when you get your heartbeat in sync with that heartbeat. Um, there is a greater sense of oneness that, that that fills you with joy and enables you to have a, a more abundant life, I believe. So well, I, um, I think that they know that there are healing properties of that come from the earth, um, uh-huh. just like there there are healing properties in the soil, um, there are healing properties in water, uh, sunlight. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, when you're living in harmony with, with it all, it's it's a much greater sense of well-being and and health, much I'm sure much less disease as we have it today. It's only when you fall out of harmony, and begin to, uh, when you begin to, begin to step over the the, the natural laws, uh, uh, discard them and not 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 uh, you, you know value them, that all of the problems arise. Oh, absolutely, and. And you know you're you're you want to get back to your books too because I think that that your books really um, I I think you have you have integrated into them trigger words that that are going to send people into looking in other directions within their own lifetime and one of them is the mantra and the sound vibration and at one point. Um, your sister, in which lifetime, I'm not sure, I think it was the first one, um, was given a mantra to be able to go between dimensions is how right. I took it. it that's exactly and, it. It's between dimensions into other dimensions, right. Okay. But it had to and, be used for the, not for personal reasons, but for the greater right. good, and she used it for a personal, for a personal reason. Well, frankly, for I desire. think she, she was... She was smart to stay where she was. She had a good family, and she was well loved. I mean, you know, it did separate her from her own home and family, but she 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 lucked out. Um, she did luck out. <laughs> she did luck out. <laughs> Actually, there's more about her in um, some of the karma that was unfinished in that lifetime uh, gets completed in the book that I've just I've just completed. I've just finished. But the, the interesting thing about the, when the bright moon rises is that. While my other books collapsed time for me and show and showed um, how time is really a mental construct, we can find ourselves in any period simultaneously in several periods. But in, with mm-hmm. the bright new moon rises, I found that the same thing happened with space. I found myself. We I call it the celestial world, but really we're talking about other dimensions. Today we would call it other dimensions. We would say the celestial world is another dimension, right? And there, there are yeah. many other dimensions. Some of them more beautiful. Some of them, you know, filled with the same kinds of things here on Earth. But um, I found myself. There are three episodes in the book that take place in the other dimension. It begins there, and then there's an interlude, and then at the end, um, um, it ends back in the other dimension. And so I that was very powerful for me because after that, since that time, 
I have found myself being able to access that other dimension. We live, we live in a multidimensional universe. We are multidimensional yes. beings, and we have closed ourselves off from that reality, from that part of ourselves. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can, we can open ourselves and be aware of our existence in other dimensions, our relationships uh-huh. in other dimensions, uh, uh, and, 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 and be of service in those other dimensions while we are still here in our physical bodies. And that was new for me. Well, yeah. That was a new experience. Well, <laughs> there is no such thing as time on the other side. That's right. Time is something, you know, we have created, I don't know, to, to keep our perspective, I guess. But, but then there is no time on the other side. So, in the ultimate sense. You know, we, we've created it as a way to order our life. Right. You know, we've made it a sequential a sequence of things as a way of, of ordering uh, our experiences, our, our physical experiences. But it has yeah, no I, ultimate I want, reality. I want to, exactly. And I want to go back to your sister in that lifetime was given a mantra to be able to go into another dimension. Now, lots of people are given mantras to chant to... And it's a vibrational thing, and, and lots of people have worked with solfeggio music and things like that, which is frequency and sound. And so how would someone today seek to use a mantra to access another dimension? Would it be through meditation? Would it be through chanting? Would it be through how? I think that, that one, has to be, one has to be pure in one's intention. Uh, the danger in all that. I mean, mantras are often misused for personal gain. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's like uh, uh, that movie that came out, The Secret. You can use these, you can use mantras to get what you want. You want more money? Use a mantra. You want find the perfect love? That, that's, that's a very low manifestation uh, and, and, in my mind, a, a misuse. Um, I mean, we should be able to materialize what we need in this world. Uh, uh, through our willpower and through our concentration, uh, uh, because we are we are in control more than we know. Uh, but uh-huh. so I think that that unless one is of, of um, and what I mean by attention is pure is of service to the world. In other words, these mantras are meant to be used in service, not for personal gain. So the right. the, 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 the the sages who were living at that time were using the mantras to create plenty for the people, to, to make the, flor- the forest flourish, to keep the harmony in the forest. Uh, they were using the mantras for the well-being uh, and for the thriving of, of, of communities of life, not for their own personal advancement. Uh, Prema, the sister, of, uh, the sister that you mentioned, um, she was in charge of protecting uh, the community, um, mm-hmm. There weren't, um, not from the animals, but there were unsavory tribes that were coming in uh, that were demonstrating some aggressive tendencies. I mean, this was a declining period. It wasn't the height of the golden age. It was a, a period of, of, of loss, of, of knowledge loss. And so there were these mm-hmm. unsavory communities coming in. And so she was meant to use this mantra um, to protect life and to... And to um, uh, make sure the harmony, the balance of the uh, forest was maintained. 
but she fell in love with someone from that other dimension and used it to enter in. And then because she had misused it from its original intent, purpose, she forgot it when she got there and couldn't return to her family. Uh, today, there are people who can do this. There are people who have what they call powers, CDs. Um, I think we have to be careful what we wish for. Um, but if we if we have a uh, concentrated meditation practice, I mean not a haphazard, but a concentrated practice, and we have... Um, to, to meet our needs, you know, if you don't have a job and you need a job, you can do affirmations. Affirmations mm-hmm. are, are are a modern form uh, of of like a mantra, where you're mm-hmm. you're um, enhancing the power of your mind to create the circumstances that you need. Uh, you know, if you're having a health situation, you can do affirmations to affirm your positive health. Your, your well-being, and there are amazing results from these affirmations. The mantras that, that were used at the, in, the, in the earlier days were correlated. The sound was an ancient form of Sanskrit, which emerged based on universal sounds. Uh, so they, they were able to um, u- work with sounds that were primal sounds in, in the creation of the universe. You know, sound is like in the beginning there was vibration. Vibration is sound. That's what created all that is. Um, so in the beginning was the word. What is the word? The word is vibration. So uh, so while we may not, well, the, the average person, those of us who are, who are uh, you know, busy with our lives may not know those particular sacred sounds, we can use affirmations. Affirmations are very powerful, and I've heard many incredible stories health, relationships, work uh, of people doing, and even, you know, I know that a lot of people do affirmations for peace in the world uh, Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, just sending out vibrations of love and peace. Um, So I think that that what I've learned from this is that we can take greater control of our lives. I mean, people say this, we know this, uh, that we, we can take more control of our lives. Yes, there are things from the past, from our karma, the conditions that we can't change, but we can change our attitude and we can change our future. Well, I, I tell people all the time that you create your reality by your perspective of it. And, yes. And it's, tr- and it's true. Um, and I think the other thing that, that you, you are illustrating with your book is the law of cause and effect, which I think is incredible. And, and most people don't understand the law of cause and effect. You know, you take an action, there is a reaction to it. And right. oftentimes it, it doesn't happen immediately, but it, it does indeed happen. And, you know, you, you, this is a book also illustrating the, the, the law of karma so, so, that, so that, you know, you, you can pay it forward and you, you can, you know, when things happen that are so synchronistic and magical in your life, you have to understand there is a reason for it, and it may not be from this lifetime. And, exactly. Yeah. I, I think that one of the um, one of the benefits that a guide or, or, or a teacher, uh, a sage can do, is is delay a reaction. Uh, I mean, everything has to. The universe is constantly seeking to balance itself. We see that in nature. Uh-huh. We see that in the law of physics. The universe is seeking to balance. So any energy put out, the opposite. It has to have its comp. It's it's it's, it's uh, um, 
you know, complementary action. Uh, and so, but the timing of it is left undetermined. Uh, and the timing often happens when we can benefit from it, we can, when we can use it to grow an understanding. It's not a punishment. It's all there meant, it's meant to, to stimulate our own growth and understanding. Um, and so the sages uh, and our guides and our teachers can help with this by bringing forth certain effects at a time when we'll be able to learn from it. I mean, the whole process of the law of cause and effect is there to help us awaken. People see it as punishment and reward, but but I don't see it that way at all. I see it as all there to help us with the awakening uh, process, which is what life is about, awakening to our true nature, to to, to the reality. Well, the, the Dalai Lama when, once asked, you know, who was your greatest teacher? It was It was that political system that forced him out of Thailand, and, you know, people just looked at him and said, are you kidding? This man made your life horrible. He made you, you know, homeless. He made you all sorts of things. And the Dalai Lama just smiled and said, and he taught me patience. That's and, right. China you know, was his it, greatest it, teacher, right. He yeah. taught him patience, and yeah. So so that, you know, it's, you know, the, the what appears to be, you know, a sad experience is, is a wonderful teaching tool. And it's when you see the lesson that it's taught you, and, and it's always of a positive nature. When you, when you understand the gift that that difficulty gave you, and, and you don't necessarily have to write a thank you note, but, you know, it, it's, 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 it kind of loses its impact on you and you move forward from it. I, I agree. I think you're right. You don't have to write a thank you note, but you can acknowledge that this, this is a great teaching and you learn something yeah. of great importance from this experience. And I think most of our challenges in life, we don't see it when we're in it, but afterwards, often we look uh-huh. back and we can see how it made us stronger, uh, how we grew from that experience. You know, and yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I mean, people I have relationship that... breakups and they, you know, bemoan the fact, and then later on they say, wow, that was a blessing. <laughs> you know? yeah. I dodged a bullet there. Um, well, yeah, and well, how about when when you um, come across someone that that you know that there is a powerful connection there, and you can't put your finger on what it is, but it's it's almost magnetic, and you can't explain it. Is that is that sometimes? I'm not talking, you know, so much of a physical attraction as a a spiritual drawing that that it just feels like you belong together and you can't explain how or why. I mean, is I think that usually a, most pe- most people um, have some experience that that you can only explain through a past life connection, <clears throat> uh-huh. whether it's a, a very strong romantic relationship or you know work partnership or you know uh, just a. Uh, it could be a, it could be a troubled relationship or it could be a a beautiful relationship, but you know that it's not the first time. I knew I knew I a couple. They it was a second marriage for both of them, and uh, they both had children in the first marriage. They came together um, later in life. They were both on the spiritual path together. I always held them up as the one couple I knew that really worked. <laughs> and they said to me, "This we've been working at it for many lifetimes. This is not the first lifetime. This is the, the lifetime we finally got it right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so, but they may have had, you know, several other times together, which were not so harmonious. Um, but this time they were at they were at the perfect stage in their spiritual development, where they could they could really work. They were both artists, so they had a, they were very independent from each other, and yet it was a beautiful balance between being together and yet having your independent life, which is rare to find in a couple. Usually, people struggle with that. Very often, people struggle yeah. with that. Um, I think so that you know you've illustrated you know it, with all of your books how people do cycle you know so that there is is a soul family so to speak yeah. and and yeah. that they 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 take on different roles at different lifetimes in your life to, to and and of course they're on journeys within their own lives as well so it's almost like there's an agreement that you know I'll help you this way you'll help me that way so that there's always a balance and and that it's it's fascinating to me how people do cycle through your life and not all people are there the you know the the full the full span of your life to, but they all have they are helping you to to gather wisdom knowledge and experience and um yes. and 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 we 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 do, you're right we do that with each other we come we come together i mean um it's interesting the book the book that I've just finished picks up some of the pieces for when the bright moon rises. Uh, uh-huh. It takes place in between the first part of the book, Vedic India, and the second part, Tang China. It takes place in an in-between <laughs> point um, and and picks up some of the threads. And so it showed me that karma created in one lifetime may be partially fulfilled a few lifetimes later, and then other uh-huh. parts of that may be fulfilled a few times later, and then other parts of it may be fulfilled at an, at another point in time. And so it's very complex actually it's beyond what the logical mind can really follow uh, because mm-hmm. there's so many moving parts to it there's so many pieces to it we've had so many lives so many relationships and one of the things that I've learned from from all of this is that I I I I have to be more mindful of my the way I live today because I am today creating my future what I'm doing yeah. right now and tomorrow and the next day will determine the future that I have. And so you want to do that more consciously. And so I'm I'm always saying to myself, you know, uh, I don't want to leave this relationship unfinished. I don't want to leave something undone. Um, I want to make sure that there's completion here on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> because if you take rebirth, it should be f- out of a sense of service for, for humanity not compulsion because of desires from the past. That's that's at a certain point in your spiritual journey, that's what you aim for. Yeah, and I think so many people um forget that this is not a one shot deal. That this is we're we're on a, a long journey here and and that that there is that element of being of service and it's the spirit that is growing, not the not the um not not the personal individual not the ego that is that is with you for this lifetime that's that's not the purpose of the lifetime and sometimes you have to tell the ego to go to the movies and you know get out of the way because 
you know, while while the while the ego is just for this lifetime, it 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 is because it becomes selfish for this lifetime alone, and your spirit is here, you know, for all eternity, evolving and going in in new directions, and we have to work through or around or beyond the ego in order to get to where we're going. We definitely have to, yes, we definitely have to manage the ego. And I think we also, I mean, when you see so many different lifetimes, you realize that this is not our home. We may be here for Uh 60, 70, 80 years, and then we may be in that other dimension for 200 years. It varies each time. Uh, And Uh so which is our real home, you know? We get so attached to to here, but then when we're there, this seems like a dream. So it's, um, I mean, we have to awaken the other parts of ourselves so that we see ourselves as multidimensional beings. Well, you know, you with your I I found the first book amazing. Um and and you know, I fell in love with each lifetime as you had them and I just didn't want you to die because I was so in, <laughs> involved in that particular lifetime and then then you died and then you came back in another one and then it was okay, well, let's stay with this one for a while. And you it it, it was it became such a a process for me to actually it was almost painful to move lifetime to lifetime because I was so integrated into that. You made it, you were not telling a story, but you were taking the the reader into becoming a part of the story. And mm. you did that with the second book as well, so that so mm. that you became so involved with the personalities and the characters that you didn't, want to move beyond and yet yeah by then you knew you were going to move beyond because that's what you do and so in this book i found it you know as intriguing and and i loved the way you um you brought in some some parts of of the mythology that is a reality if you're evolved enough to see it um with the yeah. with the hermit and 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 everything. I thought that was that was fabulous. I thought I thought the 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 Taoist hermits, you know, who lived on the mountains, and mm-hmm. you know what were their practices and their beliefs. And, I mean, come on, you wrote a phoenix and a tiger. I mean, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> well, it's 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 true that that um, I, I didn't know much about Taoism before I wrote this book, but I found that I became a Taoist. And I got back into my Taoist persona, um, uh, you know, I, 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 and I had no connection to China until suddenly this, the door opened, and uh-huh. I fell in love with uh, uh, Chinese poetry, and the, the whole, I mean, I, I became, I, I became a, that personality of that era, uh, and it, it was hard for me to leave that. Actually, I mean. I had trouble finishing that book. Not that it wasn't finished. It's just that I keep keep. I said to myself, I have to keep editing editing it. I wasn't making any changes, but I was reading it and rereading it and rereading it because I was I was stuck in that era. I, it's like I couldn't pull myself back. And I wrote this um, a lot during, during COVID. Actually, I started it before COVID, but you know, here I was alone in my house, living in another time period, uh, going back into several time periods. Actually because I was in Vedic India, and then I was in China, and then even within China, seeing several different lifetimes. So I was remembering a life in which I remembered another life. That was all new to well, me. I, I, 
I have a suggestion for you. I, I know you have a, a wonderful assistant there who probably has nothing to do part of the time. And I would suggest that you have her gather all of the poetry together and publish the poetry separately. Huh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought I mean, about I've, that. My The new book coming out has some poems. I mean, it awakened... It awakened the poet in me, and and uh-huh. uh, so I was up in the middle of the night writing poetry, uh, and uh, I I just thought to myself, uh, you know, I I really became that personality again, uh, and and it was just so um, I had to pull myself back and say, okay, I'm not living in Taoist, I'm not living in Tang <laughs> China anymore, <laughs> not the eighth century. <laughs> well, well, and I'm that, happy that to be per- me. <laughs> well, yeah, but that personality. Um, burned her her early poems and i would i would really strongly urge you to um put out a small a a small book of of the poetry and and add to it as in in other words open yourself to the poetry that is there because it in itself has a message yeah and yeah yeah. and and you know the the and, and if you if you really have to then write a description as to what the poetry means if if you feel that you want to put more into it, but I I wouldn't think you would need too much to it. But but the poetry the, the has the current yeah. book has about has a few poems, and the the book I'm about to start, which takes place in, in medieval Tibet, actually, um, also mm-hmm. has will have some poetry. So I think that since the writing of that book, that door has opened and it doesn't close. I mean, that's the thing is once you regain a memory, it doesn't. It stays. It's with you. It's, it's you've regained something. You've regained a part of yourself, uh, and and so where is this all leading? Ah, I don't know. I haven't found that out yet. <laughs> have you have you seen Have you seen the work of Nicholas Rorick? Yes. Yes. He, There's a museum here he, in New York. I used to go to. I know. I I went there too. I got yelled at because I touched the pictures. Um, oh. <laughs> I just couldn't. Um, I mean, he played, he painted with tempera, and and he went on donkeys into the mountains of Tibet, and yeah. you know, holy, ma- I mean, and his paintings are so mystical. They are just so absolutely mystical. unbelievable. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I I you know I I fell in love with his work. Um, who was it? Um, uh, not Dorian Virtue. Um, Oh crap! Now I can't remember her name. Anyhow, um, she wrote um, books on the missing years of Jesus and a number of other books, and um, she she was uh, involved in the Saint Germain stuff. Her name mm. will come at three o'clock in the morning. But but anyhow, his his paintings are so. I mean, the, he uses colors that that resonate to chakras that open doors inside of you. Well, I think he was seeing into other dimensions. Oh, absolutely, and and he and his yeah. wife, you know, they were part of the uh, found, foundation of the, uh, the Theosophic Society too. So huh, that um, I didn't know. Yeah, they were very yeah. involved in that, and it was because of him that um, there were um, symbols painted on top of hospitals during World War II that each side agreed to not bomb. Which, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know he was, that. He was, he was amazing. A lot of his paintings got sold, and then one of his, um, either it was either a student or someone who worked with him, 
pulled together the collection of paintings that are there in that brownstone in New York City. And, mm. I mean, to walk through the it, – it's, it's not a quote-unquote quote, quote, museum that, that is, you know, a huge museum. It's in a brownstone. And, oh, my gosh, when you, when you realize that these were canvases that were rolled up on donkey back and traipsed through the, the Himalayas, um, it puts a whole other dimension of understanding of, of spirit – coming graphically to you and touching your spirit graphically. It just opens opens one up. It's it's a cool it, place. It's true. It, I mean, art that's I mean, I think that's the function the, the interesting thing about the book that I've just that I'm working on now that I'm finishing. It is that it, it's again a, a declining time which takes place around 1000 BCE, but the arts are just beginning to flourish. So it's, it's almost as if, as our as our doors into the other world, as our intuitive perceptions of the higher realities, uh, would becoming less, uh, 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 becoming dimmer. Uh, we were expressing uh-huh. our spiritual aspirations through the arts, and the arts then really began to, painting and sculpture and dance and music began to take on a new role in human society. It was the spiritual uh, connection. Uh, uh-huh. And as as I saw that, and um, it was very interesting to me because you can see. I mean, I, I've always been a history buff, and I've always wanted to really understand the movement of time through history because I think that we don't really understand it very well in in, in the general uh, public, and even in academic circles, see it in a very limited way. Um, but to see a spiritual, to see uh, the development of Human society through a spiritual lens has always been very interesting to me, uh, and I think that that art was given um, uh, by the, the the deities as a way to maintain our connection with the higher worlds. And many artists do this. Maybe not the art today. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I'm with you on that one. Um, but music especially too i i mean if you if you listen to music from a spiritual sense there are messages that have been left throughout time um i mean uh, the song till there was you um john lennon's imagine um yeah yeah you know a lot of these you know forget what they're i think the magic comes through in the most unusual of channels, which is so phenomenal because, you know, their lifestyle and what they did in their everyday life may not have been of the richest value. However, the gift that they left through time, through their music, is inspirational and just absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, you 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 change the lens through which you see and through which you hear, and there are spiritual messages all over the place, and it's a matter of you know becoming perceptive enough to understand that there is hidden meaning in in everything, and if you look for that hidden meaning, it it unlocks so much of a, of a spiritual aspect of life to you that it changes everything. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's very true. I mean, that was the higher purpose of art. Um, I mean, today it's become much more utilitarian. 
Uh-huh. And you know, it, 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 there's, there's different levels of art. I mean, there's some art that's social commentary, it's political commentary, oh, yeah. but the highest art expresses the spiritual perceptions. Oh, absolutely. And well, look at look at. Um, oh my gosh, Van Gogh. I mean, yeah. he he. You know, my goodness. I mean, what he put on canvas was not reflective of what his life was, but but there there's magic there and and you can tell if you walk through a museum you can tell you know where magic was at, and mag, for me magic is spiritual energy right right right, um, right. spiritual energy yeah you know you, you you can tell where where there was magic at work and you know weaving an energetic that was going to trigger your spirit to remember or reflect or to go to another time and place and space I mean, and I think a lot of it is what you said is triggering memories because uh-huh. we all hold the memories of every place that we've been, everything that we've experienced. But for most of us, we we can't, in order to focus on our present life, it would it would be disconcerting to remember it all. And so we have selective memory. You know, we, we, we put aside most of our memories so that we can focus on our, our, the present moment. Uh, yeah, but it's still there. It's it's sort of like still there. Yeah, um, still there. I I I have I often um, you know, kind of equate our past lives to um, our closet. If you had a closet full of all the clothes you have worn in your entire life, and each piece of clothing representing a different time frame, a different lifetime. Um, you know, you could, you could, you could go back and, sla- I mean, going back to, you know, your onesies to, to present time. It, it's sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, remember when we were much younger, I lived in the Northeast, so every winter we had to have a new coat because we had outgrown mm-hmm. the old one. Right. And so, so each lifetime, you know, you're wearing a different garment to experience life in a different way. That's right. That's right. And, and and it's kind of like, you know, you can go through the closet and you can find where some of your stuff is really tattered and worn and other stuff not so. And, you know, some in good taste and some in bad taste. So our lifetimes have been um, a, a collection of experiences that, that have rounded us out to where we are at this moment in time. And, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully the, the wardrobe gets better and better. Well, I think... In, in the in, in the end, we will. I mean, at some point, we will remember it all. Uh, at, at some point, mm-hmm. um, you know, bit by well, bit, think, all the pieces come together. When we transition, when we when we leave this lifetime, I believe there's there's also an in between space where where we kind of can take a look at everything we've gathered to this point in time, and what is it we need to work on next, and. And and your your lifetimes that you're experiencing, you know, some of sometimes there are thousands of years between incarnations, but there may have been incarnations in there that that um, work on different aspects that you know aren't on the sa- aren't in the same genre that that you're you're writing about. I mean, maybe people don't want to know all of the nasty things you did to get to this wonderful pure time of peace, <laughs> love, and you know, I it's sort of like you can't 
what, what was it? It was a Supreme Court judge or, or somebody, I forget what it was, but they were talking about pornography. And, mm. the, the, you know, the, they asked the judge about pornography, and the judge said, I don't really know exactly what it is, but I know what it isn't. And and so it's it's a matter of you have to have experienced something in order to be able to describe it and react to it. So so if we're talking about the horrors of of war and 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 murder and rape and pillaging, we've probably been there at one point in time, so that we know that this is not a place we want to return to. Yes, and I think you know, I, um, in my first book, I talk about a life in Africa, actually, during the slave trade where I was raped. And uh-huh. since I was young, I've always had, so that was three lifetimes ago. Since I was young, I've always had a fear of that, of rape. Um, uh, that's, you know, it's just something that I've, that, that's been in my subconscious, sort of, that comes up every now and then. It was a leftover uh-huh. from that lifetime. Uh, a friend of mine asked me, well, where are your lifetimes where you were really a horrible person? <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe some of these personalities I describe had had a, a mean side to them that I'm just, you know, whitewashing over. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, well, no, I think you're giving, your purpose is giving a message of a spiritual orientation. Exactly. It, it, yes. It, it's not really about me. It's not. It's not. I don't feel any of my books are about me. It's to show how this law works and how growth takes place from one life to the next, and to see the journey of a soul through a, a long span of time. Uh-huh. The details are less important. Yes, there's a love story in it, and we get to see um, the power of love because that's that's something that I've learned through all of these experiences is the power of love as 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 a central principle of the universe as a foundational principle of the universe it's the most powerful force in the world and and so there are some key messages that that come through and and it's it's less about the detail you know who I was in that uh-huh. life and what I did uh, than about the 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 teachings that I received from uh, like the um one of my favorite parts of when the bright moon rises is when the in the first part of the book when the young forest girl is in the hermitage with Sage Gayatri. And Sage Gayatri is trying to explain to her some of the teachings of the of the rishis. And, of course, she's just thinking about the guy she loves, and she's fidgety, and she's not really paying attention. But uh-huh. she does absorb some of it because that's, that's the way it worked. And most importantly, she absorbed the love of this woman, Sage, who saw that she wasn't getting it and didn't care. <laughs> she just was giving her love. Well, I think I think one of the important things too is, you know, it is a love story, and it, it you are also emphasizing the fact that that you know it love in its totality is is spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical. It's it's all of that. It's it's a complete yeah. picture. It's not just one aspect of it, and and so that. So that you experience all of those aspects to give you a total understanding of the concept of love, and if one of them is missing, then then it, it's sort of like you're not a totally rounded sphere, and you can't roll true. You have to you have to have the whole package in order to be able to be effective when you're working with other people. It, it's it's kind of like oh I don't know I I have a thing about you know priests having to be celibate because 
how can they possibly guide us if they don't understand that aspect of life, the physicality? So, but, mm, I think that in, I think that in the earlier times, um, they were it wasn't a lifetime commitment, except for maybe the the rare few hermits who just went off. But it was uh-huh. a, a, a time that you would devote just to meditation. It could be a period of time, 10 years, 5 years, 1 year, whatever. Uh, and then you had your household responsibilities that you would then enter into. Uh, and uh-huh. so there was a, there was a, a rhythm to it. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't like it, everything became so rigid over time. Social structures became rigid. You had to be born into it. There was no fluidity. Uh-huh. Um, the whole monastic thing became very rigid. Uh, I, I think it was much more intuitive uh, in the earlier, in the, um, the beginnings of, of our development of the modern society. It was much more fluid. Well, in in the very beginning, in the, in your um, the first lifetime that went way back, um, they had the the leader of the clan was was um, it was generational. It was you know mother to daughter. That was daughter, the mother to daughter, to daughter, 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 right, 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 right. But it was a, it was a sort of like an equal society. There was no, um, uh, uh, I mean, everybody lived, communicate. Everybody contributed to the sustenance of the community and whatever they did best. Uh, and, and there was no real hierarchy to it. Although there was a leader that was the woman. There was a matriarch, so to speak, who kind uh-huh. of kept the whole thing together. Uh, I think Native Native American Indians had the same type of, of process. There was a a shaman that that made the major decisions for the tribe. While while there was a um, a chief that was in charge, but he took his orders from the shaman. Yeah. So that it, yeah. it was it was there was a spiritual leader, and and then there was a physical leader as well. Which, which was kind of interesting. You know, the shaman, you know, especially when they were migratory, would, would say when they moved and when they didn't move and when they planted and when they didn't plant. And, and you know, the the male leader um, was a whole other, you know, he's the one that kept them in contact with other tribes and things like that. So I think the Native American communities maintained a lot of those earlier aspects uh, uh-huh. uh, they they had gratitude toward the forces of nature. They didn't take more than they needed. Um, uh, they, they kept a certain harmony and balance, uh, and so they were able to maintain a lot of the the features of the earlier that I describe. You know, uh, their relationship with the animal world was was an intimate one. It wasn't one of, oh, of commo- you know they didn't see them as commodities. You know. Uh, well, yeah, and they apologized when they took the, yeah, and they apologized when they took uh, an animal's life, and they, yeah. especially with with the buffalo, they used every part of the buffalo that nothing went to waste, and um, it was it was a wonderful balance, and exactly. uh, unfortunately, yeah. when the Europeans invaded America, um, they did away with what they considered primitive, which was, in my opinion far more spiritual than the religion they brought with them. So I think we have to, We have to. I mean, one of the, the changes in our mindset is to, to, 
to to shift our understanding of so-called primitive, what's primitive. I mean, to me, it's primitive to treat animals the way we treat animals, you know. I mean, cows, uh-huh. the meat industry, the cows are skinned before they're even dead, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, and they're kept in, I mean, they're just not treated like life. That's primitive to me. And, and the kinds of weapons and wars that we have and tortures and enslavements of people, this is all primitive behavior. You know that, so so I think we need to, um, you know, look at our society a little bit more objectively and 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 really see what's primitive <laughs> and a different understanding of what's primitive. <laughs> well, I mean, I can I I understand what primitive art is, but even that has a a message to give. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's judgmental. It's assuming that you are better than or no more than you really actually do. And it's it's sort of like when somebody declares something is primitive, you I step back and say, huh, maybe it's not that it's primitive. Maybe it's your ability to perceive where there is a richness or not that is the primitive thing. Well, I mean, what what I mean, having having more things like the con- consumption that we that keeps our society going because that's really the engine, right? But that uh-huh. is that's that's kind of running the earth toward the end, I mean, kind of using our resources in an unsustainable way, um, that, that's, that's, I would say, a primitive mentality. It's, 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 there's no wisdom in that. Uh, and so, so we judge primitive based on, on technological uh, factors rather than uh-huh. wisdom. You know, what's intelligence, well, yeah. you know? <laughs> Actually, there is a there's a wonderful video out there called Home, um, and it's on YouTube. And it's probably one of the most graphically beautiful um, videos on showing the planet and how we have utilized it or misused it, and yet... Showing how much there is still that you know we we can't spoil it yet, and the Earth is is really self-sustaining and has been around a lot longer than humanity has. So that in many ways, but it, it is it, people should take a look at it. It's it's mm, home. Home. It's called have, home. I think I may have yeah, seen it's, it. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful video that is a. It has music behind it, and it has an audio behind it, but the graphics are just gorgeous. And, and the I'll reality look at it again. is, that, yeah, this this um, this planet is amazing. And you know, when you look at where the populations have have hovered, you know, along the coastlines, and with the ice caps melting, that eventually we're going to have to be moving more and more inland. Um, right. I have already moved inland. You are going to have to, you know, in a couple hundred mm-hmm. years, probably. Um, right, maybe sooner. <laughs> but but it's it's you know the the topography changes, and yet you know we have the experience of being able to still work with the land, still work with the with nature. And I think what what upsets me the most is what we're doing to the rainforest. And you know, um, yeah. 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 there's so much in South America, especially. And again, because that's never been covered by an ice cap, um, there's so much hidden there from sight that uh, that can give us understandings as to the cultures that were there that no longer are there. And with LIDAR and everything, they're able to finally 
take a look at, you know, the communities and the towns and the cities that that have been covered by the jungle for so long. So that it's uh, there may be a whole other chapter in in our history that may predate the last ten thousand years, which is I'm sure you there know, are many chapters. Hope. I mean. You know, we 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 know so little. Uh, just like we un- we understand so little about the universe. Um, uh-huh. uh, I mean, we even things like electricity. We can observe it. Do we know really what it is? You know, I mean, we don't understand the basic principles. And I think that that the, there's a limit to the logical mind. Um, there are, there are some of the uh, sages have talked about what they call the Satya Yuga, which is around the time that I'm talking, 10,000 BCE, as the age of intuition, where people were much more intuitive uh-huh. uh, because spiritual truths are not are not perceived with the logical mind, with the rational mind. It's the intuitive mind that could grasp it. So it could be that the intuitive right. mind was highly developed. The rational mind was less developed. It was less needed. But, but yeah. it... it in the passing of time, the rational mind became stronger, and that's what led to the development of our complex societies that we have now. But the intuitive mind got weakened. And so we don't have the ability to, to grasp these uh, a deeper truths. But maybe now the intuitive mind needs to emerge again so that there'll be a, more of a balance between the rational well, and the intuitive. Th- there was a period of time where where the, the, the intellect... Um, just absolutely didn't even respect the thought that there was a spiritual aspect to to our reality and and now highly 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 intelligent people are are looking into and grasping and understanding the the spiritual aspects and the intuitive side of them and and I think that that you know having a marriage between the intellect and the intuitive is the best of all possible worlds, where right. they, right. where they, right. where they flow together, where they share, where they interconnect, so that for the benefit of humanity as a whole. And and I I think that you know the pendulum swings and you know we've been all one way and then all another and it's usually in about that five thousand year time frame where where it swings back and forth the the you know the what well, a progression mm-hmm. of the equinox is every twenty six some and some thousand years. So that twenty right, twenty about twenty five thousand years. That's that's the whole Yuga cycle which they called which all all ancient societies talked about. They called the Great Year, a complete uh-huh. uh, movement of our solar system through the uh, zodiac. Uh yeah. and that uh, uh yeah, and that helped that sort of guides the evolutionary process. But I think you're right. I think uh, uh we, we have to move toward greater balance between the the rational and intuitive minds, and I, I think we're slowly getting there. I mean, I've begun to think more in terms of long term. We're not going to see everything change overnight or in the next ten years or twenty years. It's going to be. I mean, evolution takes takes place over over time. Oh yeah, but you know, it, it's interesting to actually be able to perceive the fact that there there is a change. We are in one of those swings where the intuitive is coming back into balance with the with the intellect, and right. I, I think it's it's amazing because, you know, people who dealt with the the intuitive, you know, were, were looked upon as oh, I don't well, bird at the stake among other things, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and today there is a greater, of course, the intellect always tries to intellectualize a spiritual concept that has nothing to do with the intellect; it has to do with another 
level of understanding and comprehension that is nonverbal. So, right. so it's, it's 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 a tough thing and it's frustrating. But but those who struggle do find it, and those who struggle with it are able to bring it into a a greater synchronicity within themselves, and and that makes magic happen. That's right. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's so many that I mean, when you talk about the sages and the hermits on their mountaintops, now, now they had magical stuff going on with them, but I, they'd taken it to an extreme. But 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 this was this was a time frame where it was appropriate and okay to live on a mountaintop. Today, it's harder to do that. Well, today it's harder to do it, and, and um, I I think that. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there there are still people kind of hidden away. Uh, you, you certainly you certainly can see that in India, go high into uh-huh. the Himalayas, and I'm sure I've even heard that even in China there are some. Uh, China has a lot of mountains, sacred mountains, and I'm sh- I've heard that there are Taoist hermits who kind of have been under the radar and have not yet been discovered by the Communist Party. <laughs> you know, so they they live kind of apart from society. You know, not many, but um, I I think there always will be such people. But it certainly is harder because modern civilization is reading, reaching almost every place. You know, I mean, you know, uh, uh, and and. I imagine that will continue unless we see a dramatic shift. Uh, and and that's, I mean, you can see in India a place that's changed rapidly in the last 20, 30 years, uh, where oh, it's, yeah. it's really, yeah, you know, it's much more like the rest of the world. You know, development has really uh, reached almost everywhere except the high, high reaches of the Himalayas. So you have plastic bottles everywhere and, you know, Internet and cell phones and all that. Um but that's okay. I mean, there's, you know, I think all of that. It's neutral. It's not good or bad. It's how we use it. Yeah. You know? Well, there are there are areas in Russia too, that that are so um, isolated that you know the people live to 120, 130, and they're healthy and they're vital, and 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 it's because they aren't exposed to what society has done with our culture and with our with our natural resources. And, and they have shamans. Um, I've heard of shamans living in the in 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 the far reaches of of Russia, as well, uh-huh. who just stay below the radar, you know. Uh, and truth well, seekers will will find them. You know, if you're seeking them out, you can find them. Yeah, and that's that's I think one of the the the, the wonderful things about about you know books like yours that that indicate that you know. These practices are still there. They're out there. They're, you're, you're able to be a part of them if you choose to dedicate your life to them. And and a journey like this is a dedication of a lifetime. It's not something that you can take a, a weekend workshop on and have a certificate that says you are a shaman now or whatever. So um, it's, it's, it's a, it's it's a, a commitment a, of a lifetime. And I think that, that the practices are much more accessible today than they were in the past. I mean, it, I think in the past, uh, you know, up until 100, 200 years ago, you had to really go off in search of a teacher uh, because uh-huh. there weren't so many books on this. There, were, there was certainly no Internet. Uh, so you had to go for, search for a teacher. Um, uh, and now so many of the teachings, of course, there's no replacement for a teacher, uh, but but you can certainly get a lot of inspiration and a lot of guidance, especially for for beginning 
the path through all that's available between books and online teachings and and you know YouTube talks and, and actually this oh, yeah. year there's been more than ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we have flooded the Internet, haven't we? Um, yeah, it's been a good too, thing because many more people have access to the teachings then. Oh, absolutely. And I th- I think personally the fact that we have within us uh, a master teacher ourselves so that so that it gives us the tools to reach to that aspect of our own inner journey and, and you know, that's where the roadmap really is. And, and connect to that, yeah. and and there are so many different ways of making that connection, and and it's a matter of trusting the fact that you've made that connection. I, I think so many people look for a teacher because they don't trust themselves. That's and, true. Yeah, they don't trust themselves, and and I mean, I think you have to be um, a pretty centered and focused to be able to access your own teacher within. I think most people need some guidance. And also, uh-huh. um, you know, help to persist because you can get discouraged. You know, people expect immediate results if you don't get immediate results, especially here in the West, where you're ready to go to the next thing and try something else. And you do need <laughs> patience, as the Dalai Lama said, <laughs> for the spiritual path, well, you, you know, need patience and persistence. I have come to the point where I can I can now actually walk on water. It has to be frozen, but I can walk on water. <laughs> you can walk on Okay. <laughs> I can levitate if you scare me enough. Uh-huh. Know, I, I will I will definitely levitate a, a micro inch or whatever. But yeah, I think that that you know, um we can travel in time. We can do all sorts of magical things. It's just a matter of, of trusting to ourselves and knowing that what we get is, is going to be um, instruction for us, you know, for, for our, what you're our life. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I mean, that's one thing I'm very grateful for is that, um, except at the very beginning when I really questioned myself, um, for the most part I trust what I see. Uh, and I, I want to be able to tell when my experience is authentic. Uh, uh-huh. um, but it, it takes kind of tuning in with yourself and really sitting with it and looking at it. Uh, uh, and that's been a very, a very useful, a very useful tool, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing, one, one, one guideline has always been the relationships for me. When I see relationships in the past. And I feel the enormous love that I feel for a certain person from the past. For example, when I mm-hmm. when I finished the book of um, When the Bright Moon Rises, I I had a dream of of, of Levi the poet. Mm-hmm. And for weeks after, I felt the connection with him. I felt I don't know if he's in another body or if he's in the other dimension, but I felt his spirit vibrating. And I uh-huh. felt an intense love relationship, a mutual relationship. And I said to myself, this is real. This, because I, uh-huh. I had to say to myself, now, you know, I had the book translated into Chinese. All my books have been translated into Chinese. And I said, Levi is actually a very, very famous poet. In, he's, a, he's an historical person. He's a famous poet in China, um, one of the most oh, beloved yeah. poets. And, and I thought to myself, here I am, an American woman claiming to have been the wife of one of their heroes, one of the, you know the Chinese are very proud. <laughs> yeah, know, I'm sure they think his 
wives are still reborn in Chinese bodies, as he would be reborn in a Chinese body. Um, and I said to myself, this is real, because I, the love that I f- feel with him, for his, not, mm-hmm. not for him as a poet, but for him as a man, was so, yeah. was so palpable, was so, was so real to me. That, um, that, that was, that really, that was to me that, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this is real. <laughs> yeah, I think that sometimes when you're in that kind of a relationship, when there is that spiritual connection, um, somebody once said to me, you know, about, you know, when I, when I talked about things in the spirit realm and, and spiritual matters, they said, well, where did you learn this? And I said, I, I didn't, but I know it. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, they kind of looked at me and it was like, I can't explain it. I just know it. this is it. This is my truth. doesn't have to be yours, but it's my truth, and I know it as a fact for me. Now, you know, you, you, you take take what you want and you move on, you know. But um, with spiritual stuff, if you trust it and you know it, it is reality. It, it you know, exactly. it doesn't matter if it's, you know. But, yeah, I... Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I have been, I, I would say, trans, each of the book has been a tra- books have been a transformative experience for me. Um, uh-huh. And, and um, you know, I, I say to people who don't believe in rebirth, well, then just take it as a novel. But, frankly, most novels are memories. Most novels uh-huh. are built on memories. What is the imagination? Imagination is based on memory. You know, we make with this poetic license. There's, there's, there's. You know, we we can build up stories around uh, things that have happened to us. Uh, but uh-huh. you know, those that where the characters are really uh, real, we weave in people that we've known. I mean, this is this is how literature. This is the basis of literature, right? It's based on personal experiences. Right. Whether we realize them as such or not, doesn't matter. You know. Uh, but but the imagination is closely linked with our memory. That's how that's how I feel. Oh, it's it's the it, to me the imagination is the well of the of the combined information, wisdom, and material from every past life I've ever had. Right. And right. And so I I freely dip into it and utilize it, and I I trust it. I trust it more than sometimes the written word because you know that's somebody else's truth and it may or may not resonate to me but if if i have written something i trust it and, and well um, yes and uh, when i wrote the sita book which you know it was i, I really uh, released that with a great deal of trepidation because the really? story of sita and ram is one of the foundational stories of india and of course uh-huh. I, I i tell it through the eyes of a servant in sita's household uh, Sita is a secondary character in the traditional telling of the story, almost a victim of of, of what's taking place. And I, I was a little nervous of how it would be received in India. Well, overwhelmingly received, tens of thousands of readers translated into several languages. And uh, it surprised me. It was like, well, because it resonated, something resonated with with many of the people. It's like, well, this is the first time we're hearing Sita's story. We hear about Ram. We hear about you know from from that point of view. But this is the first time we're hearing Sita's story. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm 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 also writing now about uh, my next the book that will come out in the fall 
is about Rukmini, the wife of Krishna, and it's the same thing. She's disappeared from history. Uh, and yet she's said to be Sita's rebirth, and many of the people who were born around Sita took birth again to be with her. Uh, and so it's a continuation of so many of so many of the stories that I've already told, which shows me how everything is linked. All our lives are linked. The people are linked. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> okay, I, I have a question here. Now, um, you know, there, there are lots of people out there that have been, I don't know, Cleopatra, Mark Antony, Caesar, but, and, but I'm wondering, is it possible for more than one person to experience the lifetime of Sita, from a different perspective, a different aspect of her character and personality. Well, I tell the story through, through a servant's eyes, so I'm I'm not telling it through Sita's eyes. No, I got that, and, and that's yeah. I respect that. And you know, you didn't decide to be, you know, queen of the world. You you decided to be an observer of an a, amazing a person. <laughs> yeah, a servant there who who was limited in her understanding. Uh, uh-huh. um, but but had a lot of uh, uh, the attitude. I mean, at that time, there was a dignity, and this is what she learned from her father in serving. It was not as we see it today. Uh, there was oh, yeah. there was a mutual uh, respect and love between those who were serving and those who were served. It was a different era. It was oh, not absolutely. a low not a low position, but it was a certain place in society that was essential, right? Some you know you get to rotate. You know, through all those things. I'm very grateful that in all my rememberings, I never see myself as a famous person. I was never a famous person. I always had, I was always, but I, but I got to be around incredible spiritual people. Uh, in, 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 and I got to observe, and, and a lot of it was hearsay through what other people were saying at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So if you have all these people claiming to be Cleopatra, and I said to myself after I'd written the book on Sita, uh, you know, am I was I really that servant, or am I channeling the energy of that servant? Is it that servant speaking through me? I can't answer that. I don't know. All I can say is that I lived that life. If I wasn't ex- oh, that yeah. servant, I experienced the life of the servant through whoever's channeling through me. And <laughs> and <laughs> so so it didn't well, matter I think, to me. I think anybody who read the book experienced the lifetime with you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's. I think that's what I love about your books because you have written it to a point where the person who is reading it becomes the character with you, and mm. that is a magic that that gives it greater credibility when someone can blend right in with the character and become the character with you. That gives greater validity to, for me to what you've written because I felt it too. So what you you were coming from a real genuine place with inside yourself for sure. And the people who claim to be Cleopatra, they may be channeling uh uh I mean everybody couldn't have been Cleopatra, so so there was no, right. <laughs> a soul who took that form and then took another form. But they but many people can tune in with that energy and yeah. think that they were Cleopatra and that's why um, one has to be careful with this with this whole process. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I I believe it's always best when it kind of arises organically, and when you focus not on the personality or who you were or all that, but you focus on the teaching. 
what what did I learn from this experience and what was the teaching that came through to me? I mean, there are a lot of teachings in the Bright Moon Rises, a lot of beautiful teaching from the Taoist tradition. And, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it gave me a new understanding of the Vedic tradition because Indra, who much later in time, by the time of Krishna, got to be this like personified angry god, for the Vedic rishis, he was the light of the higher mind. And so their prayers mm-hmm. were for the awakening of the light of the higher mind. Uh, not for a petty god to give them favors, to send down rain or whatever. I mean, that was a, a more, I would say, less enlightened understanding of, of the reality. Uh, um, and so so many teachers, so I, I got that understanding. Aha! I mean, the, the, the word in, in, in this is, these hymns all came down in ancient Sanskrit, and they were poems. The word uh, for light is go in, in, in Sanskrit, but it's also the word for cow. So the way the Westerners, the Western academics have interpreted it was these ancient Vedic people were just begging, praying for more cows. That was how they, <laughs> well, was cows. <laughs> they were invoking the light. <laughs> right, okay. Well, you know, yeah, and that shows you how how things can get changed in a heartbeat and and misinterpretations being let out there because I, I love the fact that that basically it 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 all is coming to a to the light, bringing um, light to the reality, understanding and wisdom, you know, to enlighten one. Um, it's 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 so meaningful, and you know, your books certainly do. Do bring that quality through, and I, you know, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed all of them in different ways. The first book, I mean, and I think people should read your books in order. To be honest with you, I, I agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, because because you're introduced to the past life experience in the first book, and it's it's charming and it's wonderful, and you're flowing with the characters, and and then the second book is more of a of a of a theology. Yeah, uh, book, and, and then this last book, um, you, you're getting more into the nitty gritty of things, which is, but but you have to understand the past life experience, and and you yeah. you yeah. have gently you have gently taken people on that journey with you, so that you went from the the simplistic, the cool stuff to, oh, here's a philosophy, here's this is this is different, and and this book was different yet, but but you know. <clears throat> You're already you've educated people through two other books, so this is this is no leap of faith at all. Because by the time you get to the second, this last book, at least the second part of it in China, um, uh, th- there's already been um, uh, uh, quite a lot of experience and a deepening of understanding. So she's ready. She, I am ready for spiritual teachings in a way that did not happen previously. So this this may be the beginning of a real. Uh, uh, I mean, you can see as she remembers her. So she's sitting in the cave under the guidance of her Taoist teacher, remembering two previous lives, which were all a preparation mm-hmm. for the teaching that she's getting now, really understanding the Taoist truth, uh, which is universal. And so oh, that yeah. is what's interesting me as I looked over my my history. I've seen that there have been early lives where where you're just in harmony with things, but not really understanding the spiritual truths, uh-huh. but but feeling the love uh, of the of the of the great ones, uh, and and 
being receptive to that love, but with not great spiritual insight. And then over the course of many lives, slowly that's the desire for spiritual understanding awakens. And you want to go, you want to learn practices, and you want to go deeper, and the search begins. The, uh, uh, an earnest search begins. But that happens over many lifetimes. And so they say oh, yeah. those of us who, who are on the spiritual path now didn't come overnight. It's the result yeah. of many lifetimes of of struggle. Well, and I and I loved in this book the fact I, I loved the first lifetime. I mean, she was so she was so I could relate to her. I want it now. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and and why and, can't and, I and, have and, it? <laughs> not only that, but I'll do this for a year or so if I get closer to what I want. And right. and it was you know it was it was being exposed to material that she refused to take on in order to get what she wanted that particular lifetime. And, yeah. and you know, and, and she threw a temper tantrum. I mean, it yes. was, it was a, I mean, I could relate to the temper tantrum. I could relate to the whole thing. <laughs> I could too, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was so hurt by what happened to her that she, you know, was going to get back. She just had to let it out, you know, and she let it out by taking a, a sacred vow, uh, not to see that man for ten thousand years. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, happily, happily, it ended well. But, but actually, it ended in a way that I didn't expect, but I kind of expected. I mean, when she came ten thousand years later to have a lifetime with him, um, it was wonderful because each of them had their own. They had gotten to a point where they they knew who they were and what they needed in life, and he needed to travel and, and, and see people and write poetry, and she needed the isolation for when he was away, and, and, and yet when they came together, they basically had a physical reality that, that fueled them for the times that they were apart. I mean, right. it was beautiful. And, yes, and she had, to, she had to get over her feelings of rejection. Um, uh-huh. uh, she had carried with her a sense of rejection, and her teacher helped her get over that. And the, this is the interesting thing about karma. We think about it as, you know, relationships and, and work and health and all that, but it's also patterns of thinking. And they're sometimes very subtle, the patterns of thinking, uh, that we have an instinctive reaction to something, you know. That's a, a pattern of thinking that we've carried with us. And it takes conscious will to change a pattern of thinking. If you have low self-esteem... You know, you have to work on that. You know, it doesn't automatically, uh-huh. oh, I have low self-esteem, I'm going to get rid of that. You have to really work on it. Uh, and most likely that's something that you've come into this life with, that you've you've had past experiences that have created that perception in you. Uh, and so she carried with her a sense of rejection because she had been rejected uh, in her earlier encounter with him. Uh, uh, or she had been, yeah, so she felt rejected, whether she actually, she felt rejected. Uh, and uh-huh. so she that came back, and she had to overcome that, and that was progress to be able to overcome that. And it, what I found fascinating was that at one point she asked her teacher. She said, "Did did did the the, the man from the first life for the first did he ever marry? Did he ever find someone else that he? Now she yeah. married and she had a family, but did he? Right. You know, and it was kind of like, you know, I want him to have suffered. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, she's Talk married to the man now. 
She's married yes. to him, but she still wants to know in that life, did he marry him? I mean, it's, it's so human. <laughs> it's very human, and, and, yeah, I mean, she was who she was. I mean, she still had a long way to go. Well, yeah, but who doesn't? Who I mean, doesn't? you wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, you exactly. it, you would not, you know, you wouldn't have these wonderful lifetimes to 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 reflect back on and say, okay, so that's an aspect that maybe I'm working on now. If it came up in this, possibly, but but you know, it's 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 sort of like if you have a sense of humor about the things that you've been through, and you can you can take joy and laughter from sometimes struggle and sometimes tears but understand that that it made you the person you are today and most of us really like who we are so that so that no matter what i've been through i'm grateful for the experience because it got me to the here and the now do i I think you're absolutely right yeah i think you're absolutely right i mean looking back you can say you know uh, it's like you know, you get a divorce and you look back and say, thank God, even though you might have been tormented during the process and, you know, uh, felt rejected and all of that, um, uh, uh, things have a way of working out. And you, when you look back, there's usually gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. If you really can see things clearly, you can see that everything that happens in the universe is for our our, our benefit, is for our higher benefit. Not to satisfy mm-hmm. the ego desires, but it's for the higher benefit. Everything that happens to us, um, and and we, it's very hard to 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 keep that in mind uh, all the time. <laughs> you know, when you're going yeah. through a struggle. Yeah. No, thank you. Notes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I think that you know, in in a lifetime yet to come, I might even you know write a thank you note here and there. But um, I haven't. It could yet be a general thank you to the universe. <laughs> Well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it could be something like like with the Peruvian shamans. Sometimes they do the despachos and, and, you know, you can write the note and then you burn it and then you scatter the ashes. I might do that. But, well, but that actually, actually is a good thing. That is a, that is a, there's a, I mean, there is, there is power in ritual. Uh-huh. Uh, and, um, you know, like at one point, uh, um, Xu, the, the, in her Chinese life, uh, uh, takes her poems and she's going to uh, put, put them into the river. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and it's like she wants to send away her past lives, all her recollections. She wants to send them away. Um, mm-hmm. And then actually she writes one poem about that, about about uh, letting her past lives go into the distance, uh, not to be burdened with them anymore uh, because she's she's outgrown them. Uh, but so, I mean, that's sort of the balance that we have to find is to be cognizant of our past, but not to be um, burdened by it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, um, <clears throat> I sh- I'm sure everyone can say, you know, yes, I've had I've had experiences in the past that I'd like to forget. Well, I don't want to forget them because, because, you know, they were part of the building blocks for where I am today. I feel the same way. Yeah, I feel the and, same way. And, and, you know, as far as past lives go, I, I am fascinated with them. And, you know, I certainly am going, I'm not writing novels like you do, but, but I am going to, to to take time to go back and, and to sort of pull out those past lives that are affecting me most at this point in time. Because I think it's a, it's, it's a wonderful form of self-therapy. Absolutely. And, 
Absolutely, it's a form of self, uh, self, and also it brings clarity on 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 what your work is in this life, what where, where your focus should be, uh, and um, and 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 not to be uh, lackadaisical about it. I mean, we can drift through so many years of our life, uh, uh-huh. um, and and then before you know it, you know you're at the end of your life. So to make good use of your time, I mean. The more awake we are, the better use we can make of of the time that we have here. Well, I theoretically we are supposed to we are supposed to uh, well our bodies are supposed to last us 120 years. So mm-hmm. you know that gives me another 50 years to play with. So um, mm-hmm. you know, not sure <clears throat> not sure I will make another hundred you know another 50 years, but the potential of the human to. body. <laughs> Well, I would love to traumatize great grandchildren. I would, I would love to, you know, be able to, to give, you know, a lot of my, uh, my, my descendants yet to come, or my, my, my children yet to come, my grandchildren and great grandchildren and stuff like that. I'd love to be a voice there that says, "What if?" You know. Um, yeah. 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 No, I, I hear that. I, I feel the same way. I mean. Um, I think at a certain point, well, you know when your work is done. When your work is done, you move on. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and until that time, I mean, there's, if there's still things to do, then you want to stay around in, in, a, in a healthy body so that you can do them. Absolutely. Well, it, it's funny. About, oh, gosh, maybe 40 years ago or so, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And they told me, <clears throat> and it was really funny because at the time, um, I wasn't as integrated into this work as I am at this moment in time. And they said, you know, you're going to die of this. You know, we don't know how long you've got, but it's not a long time, so you should get yourself in order. And and I looked at the doctor and I said, oh, I don't have time to die. I have too much to do. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah. and he looked at me and he said, are you hearing what I'm saying? I said, I heard what you said. I do not have time to die. I have too much to do. And, you know... Now I am 40 years, almost 50 years, you know, beyond that, and, you know, there is no sign of all sorts of colitis and stuff like that, so that so that it was a matter of, you know, I got a death sentence, and I said, I don't think so. <laughs> right. Well, that's, so, that's also so the power I, of the mind. I mean, the power of the mind. Uh, we, we have much more uh, power and control than we realize. Most of us don't don't use it you know, are, um, don't know how to use it, the power that we have within us. And I think so many of the teachings today try to help people understand the power that they have to oh, shape yeah. their life, you know. Well, I, I, I know at the time the doctor said to my mother, you know, she is really not in her right mind. She doesn't know what she's saying. And my mother looked at him, and though she was not spiritually oriented at all, she looked at the doctor and said, I think she knows more than you do. And, <laughs> you know... Which surprised me because it was not like my mother to say something like that. But that I think everybody has times in their life when something like that happens, and they make a choice. Right. And they make a choice. You know. If, yeah. And at that particular point in time, no, I had too much to do. I don't have time for that. You know. And um, you know, I reflect yeah. back on it. I think, holy mackerel, where did that come from? Oftentimes, things come out of your mouth that you don't expect. Well, I, I mean, intuitively, you just say what you know, 
uh, yeah. when it, it bypasses the rational mind, you know, it's just you know that intuitively, and it comes out and you say it, and then it's like, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that is that happens to me frequently, and it's really kind of fun. But you know, it's again being um, being sensitive to the fact that that our higher consciousness, our spirit within, whatever you want to call it does speak to us through intuition, through our imagination, does give us messages from those other realms. And, and if we pay attention to them, again, magic happens in your life. And, and everyone is capable of having magic happen in their life. It doesn't have to everyone. be analyzed and As taken matter apart. Fact, and everyone has magic in their lives. They may not recognize it. I mean, there's uh-huh. not a person who hasn't, who doesn't have a guide, a spirit, you know, a spiritual guide, uh, who who hasn't been saved from something without? It could be a, you know, a near car accident. How many of us have had a near car accident when suddenly your car is just pushed into safety? You know, there's so many interventions that we have in our lives that we don't, don't even recognize. You just go, "Whew, that was a close one," you know? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> without thinking that, well, there was some help there. <laughs> Uh, you yeah. know, and and um, I've I've seen that so many times, and it just you know it's just you have to just say thank you, you know, acknowledge that there was there was help being given. Well, and and the more you acknowledge it, the more that you give it credence, and and you know, it's, I tell people to keep a journal of synchronicities and and things like yeah. that because that's 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 when you write it down. You cement it into reality, and you let the other side know, I got it. Exactly. And, you cement it into and, reality, and you're making a you're making a conscious connection with um, with beings in the other, in another dimension, rather than just you know not being cognizant of it. You're making a conscious connection, and that's that's important. You know, as we move toward becoming interdimensional beings, making that conscious connection, which is um, becomes a theme in my next book actually uh uh and it even it 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 shows up a little bit in this book with with uh uh at the end with satya uh mm-hmm. see had 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 there not been in the first part of the book the exile had she not been sent away and met kapila who was to play such an important role with her later on and that becomes clear in my next book actually the role that he was to play with her um and their relationship um, which unfolded over many uh, many centuries. So it's an ongoing saga. There's no end to the story. <laughs> That's, there's you know always another really chapter. Be, <laughs> you know what would really be fun is at some point in time, um, playing with the thought of writing about a future lifetime. Actually, I have already started to think about that. That's yeah, already been. I mean, um, I mean I'm, when I my, I'm just at the beginning of starting this new book on medieval uh, Tibet, 15th century Tibet, and then I thought to myself, as I do after every book, I don't know what comes next. I have seen two future lives, and I thought of of, um, but I don't see a lot of detail in them. I just see myself, and I see where I am, and I see some relationships that are formed. I thought of trying to to write something about that. A lifetime. I, I think. Yeah, I think that would be 
so much fun to do because, of course, you'll never know. Well, you will when you get there. But it would almost be a message to myself from the past to the future. Exactly. Exactly. And and yeah. and if you <clears throat> if you publish it at some time in the future, not not obviously a book, but uh, a PDF or a Kindle or something in the future, whatever they use, wouldn't wouldn't it be fascinating to say 200 years, 500 years from now, someone finding a copy of it and realizing that they are you? Well, I, I, you, you, you're, you're actually speaking just what's gone through my mind six months ago, um, because <laughs> even the books that I've written, I've thought to myself, when I read these books in the future, well, I know that it's me. Uh, uh, and then I thought somewhere deep inside I would, even though it's, it's not conscious. Um, but but the book that I'm thinking about is 200 years in the future, um, and there are many changes on the earth. Uh, and, and that would have to get into climate change and a lot of the uh, shifts that will be taking place. And I thought that there might be a teaching and all of that because, you know, in my other work, I work with a lot of young people, and I say to them, humanity needs to enter a visioning process now. I mean, all traditions have this, a visioning process. Mm-hmm. Usually it's about your own life, but a collective visioning process is what kind of society do we want in 50 years, 100 years? What do we? What kind of society do we want to move toward? That's a visioning process. But you have to have a vision before you can begin to actualize it. Most of us in school read 1984. I mean, yes, that's a dysfunctional you know, vision <laughs> of the future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, but, and we but, actualized it. Know, we created it. We absolutely did. So, so you know, looking forward 200 years, and then maybe 500, and then maybe a thousand. Um, the Rendlesham Forest um, UFO experience theoretically had um, uh, the 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 drone that appeared in Rendlesham Forest. Um, one of the um, one of the soldiers touched it and was downloaded with um, ones and zeros, which turned out to be binary code, and it turned out to be a message from 800 years in the future. You're kidding. A message from eight hundred. No. This is, this is a true story. True story. What was the message? Well, it it said something about um, the human experience continues uh, that they had been observing us, and yeah. that the date the date that the uh, drone was sent was eight hundred years in the future. And there was apparently wow. more to it, and there are book, books yet to come. But um, wow, yeah, what is this the book binary called? Um. Oh, I'll I'll have to I'll send you. It's 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 by James Patterson or Patterson, I think, and he was the soldier that touched the drone that got downloaded with the binary code. And years later, Linda Morton Howell saw the uh, notebook he had it, had written it down in because he didn't realize it was binary code, and it was um, translated. And that was that was the message. That's I think there was really more to it. Yeah. And and so, you know, kind of nice, you know, when I talk to somebody who's in like New Zealand, it's it's fun to know that there is a future because she's already they're already a day or so ahead of us. Um knowing that yeah. humanity is still being observed 800 years in the future is comforting to a point, but we don't know exactly 
where the well, drones came from. Well, I think humanity from. is going to survive. I mean, that's that's a wide open question. I think it will survive. It's an open uh-huh. question of what that will look like. Uh, we'll adapt to earth changes. There's always earth changes. I mean, earth is continually oh, sure. changing. And um, and we're adaptable, but, but you know... Um, well, we will. I mean, and it may be the Earth won't sustain the current level of population. Uh, 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 this, just you know, we don't know what it will look like yet. But I think we can begin to see it. Uh, uh-huh. uh, clearly, seers, seers can see it. So we, oh, each absolutely. one of us has that seer capability within ourselves. Uh, we can begin to see it. And that's why I think this time of solitude has been so useful, because when you're out so busy running around doing this, that and the other thing, you don't your your faculties are, are focused on the external world, not focused on the higher uh um uh capabilities. So yeah, we need to we need to begin to awaken our, our seeing our seeing faculties. Oh, both I the totally past agree. and the future. Yeah. I just I, I mean well while well, your past life stuff is fascinating as heck um, it would be it, first of all. I would love to see the poetry book because I think that's called for. Because yeah, I will do I that. Think I will, thank you. Your poetry from then should be published now, so it gets the attention it deserved then. Mm-hmm. And and with mm-hmm. with the fact that your your books are out there and are so popular, it would you have a built-in audience for the poetry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that. I think that'd be, uh, but then, but but then a future lifetime, or so that would be. That fun would be too. after the Tibet book will be a future lifetime. I, it's funny because this is what's emerged for me now. Um, I never used to think beyond the the next book, and each book it's like I don't know what comes next, and then yeah. something comes. <laughs> but but that's that's um, that's been emerging for me that that. I've done a lot of exploration of the past. I've really dug in deeply, uh, and uh-huh. now uh, and now it's time to look at the future. And wow, I, a message yeah. from 800 years in the future—that's interesting. Yeah. And uh, where where else was there? Bosnian pyramid had um, some glyphs on it that were interpreted um, from almost 40,000 years ago that that had to do with um, stargates opening. So that Stargate's opening. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool stuff. Um I if you if you go online and you look for um some um uh oh gosh. Sam um uh oh crap. Bosnian pyramid. If you if you if you uh look on YouTube for Bosnian pyramid you get Doctor Sam Osmatovic and he is he talks about the Bosnian pyramid. He talks about the glyphs that were on one of the stones, and the message that they gave. So, and and they use the term Stargate on the message, which was really phenomenal. And the hmm. Bosnian pyramids are ph- phenomenal as well. So that, so that have we been around longer than we think? Absolutely. And well, you know, it's interesting in, in my uh, digging into this Tibetan past. All of the all of the memories that are holding in the collective is that the source of the Tibetans is non-human source. Uh-huh. Uh, the uh, the tribes came out of out of non-human sources. So there are two ways to look at that. One is interdim- that they, the, the, the deities from other dimensions uh, came and, and seeded the race, right? 
Uh-huh. Another way to look at it is there were star beings that, that descended. And, and I tend to think of them as being uh, from another dimension. Yeah, they had too. powers. They had <laughs> psychic powers. Uh, and that's how the this whole fascination with, with uh, cities, with powers, has gotten into the Tibetan culture uh, because there are original stories of uh, these beings that had powers. They could fly. They did all kinds of things. <clears throat> well, the, um, the Vimanas and everything, sure. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm right with you. I I uh, I'm not sure I buy the you know from from dust and stuff like that. I I think we were put here fully humanoid and and interdimensionally seated, seated. here for some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then that's so I'm going to explore that a little bit in this next book. <laughs> oh, how cool! Yeah. <clears throat> No, I think you have to ta- you have to pay that. attention to these things that are in the collective memory of a people. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's like and, with the Vedic know. people. It was the relationship with the sun. DT. I mean, there's a lot about that in the Bright Moon Rises. With China, it was the moon worlds. Uh, uh, well, you know, and, well, the Egyptians, you know, were sun worshippers as well. So that yeah, um, you know, and and then then we go from into monotheism. So. Um, Humanity has has tried to has tried to evolve and misinterpreted it along the way, but I think that the core the core truth has always been there. It's just a matter of going back to the core truth and the golden exactly. rule and you know, and, all, and, of, all, and, all of those concepts and getting rid of all these mis, mis, misunderstandings. You know, like the idea of a judgment, a, judge, a judging deity. I mean, all these misunderstandings that have been used to manipulate people, really, to keep people in a state of fear. You know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's, and I think a, a lot of that is being shed now. I think people are rejecting that. That's why there's so much moving away from doctrine and organized religion. It's like enough already. <laughs> we yeah. all have the resources to find our own truth. We don't need anybody to be dictating to us. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and I think that it, it it is an exciting time to be here. Glad I chose it. Glad you chose it, and I just saw the time. Um, yeah. I You know, please, 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 uh, everybody, check out her three in sequence as well because it's really, uh, it gives you a better foundation and a better way of looking at life. Um, and each and every one of them has, has amazing messages to them. Um, and what is the website they can go to? So I have an authors page on Facebook, which is Dina Miriam Authors Page, I think, uh, or public page, but I think it's Authors Page. Uh, my organization has a website, which is the uh, GPIW for Global Peace Initiative of Women dot org. Uh, but uh-huh. I'm also, uh, but I'm on. Best way to reach me is uh, probably on Facebook. Okay, and. Uh... I'm looking forward to your next book, and then the West, one after that, and the poetry book. And, <laughs> yeah, so you know, to, more to come. Well, more conversations. Yeah, we'll 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 figure out where you go next. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's going to be a very exciting journey, and I'm so glad to have traveled with it with you for through two three books so far, and um, yeah. hopefully another another three or four um, as we keep going forward. So. Thanks so much for spending time with me today and my audience, and uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. And thank you so much. It's been wonderful. My pleasure. Be Take well care and now. talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. And thank you.
Thank you, everybody. So so glad that you were here to share this amazing afternoon with me. Um, it's going to be one that I'm going to listen to again because she gave so much information. It was a little overwhelming here and there. But, you know, that's the joy of, of being able to listen over and over in archive. Uh, this will be up on YouTube shortly. And uh, please know that you can um, listen to it there. Uh, if you enjoy what you hear, uh, please, uh, the YouTube channel link is on BarbaraDeLong.com. We have other shows coming up. Check our calendar on BarbaraDeLong.com. And uh, if you enjoy this, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's the only way we know you're actually listening. Have a great day now. Be well. And um, celebrate the joy and the love that is around us all the time and, and magnify it and share it. Evening now.